Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know that you're alive. And you teach us, Father, that there is no life apart from you. And while that's good if you're on the side with life, God, that's heavy if you're not with you and don't have life. Because we're confused because we're living. Living without life. Father, we pray that today you'd come near to us and speak to us the living word. You'd breathe on us the breath of life. You would save us by the one who is the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. And Father, we ask that today we would, by your grace, humble ourselves that we might repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 today. I want to thank you for being here. And I'm excited about Easter Sunday. Thank you, Micah, for the great worship and songs. Thank you, uh, Kevin and Emily, for that special. And thank you, everybody else, for uh, contributing. I, I love it on a day when we get to do baptisms. It's great to be in that water I told our church a couple years ago that I expect our water bill here at the church to be climbing and climbing and climbing because I want to run that water as often as possible so that we will continue to see people baptized on a regular basis. That's a good thing. That's what we want. We're here today and it's Easter Sunday. And I'll be honest with you all, I'm a little bit uh, fickle or shallow when it comes to the weather. My my mood is affected by the weather. Um, and I don't mean that to be a, a bad thing. I just mean that to be honest with you all. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when the weather's the way it is this weekend, life seems to be all good to me. It really does. Uh, yesterday alone, I got to watch a little bit of Fairdale baseball uh, as they were doing well at the high school with the freshman team. And then I got to see that the Fairdale high school baseball team blew out their game yesterday, a, a blowout in baseball. They're now 3-0. and I got to go for a big walk with my kids, all four of them. Uh, walked over here to the playground at Fairdale Elementary. We had our big Easter egg hunt community-wide yesterday. It was fantastic. I mowed the grass. I weed-eated. I got to use my new blower that Val and the kids got me. Life just yesterday seemed to be like the, the perfect day for me. I, I, I found myself going, man, God, thank you. Life's good today. Life is good. Thank you. But I'm reminded very quickly, and I'm, I know that it wasn't good for everybody. I, I know there's somebody here today who life wasn't great for them yesterday. Life's not always good. And so I find myself, you find yourselves, we find ourselves in a position of times of thinking life's good. And then when it's not, we we don't know how to take it. We're confused. We think something's not right. And, And as sinful people, all we know to do is to not trust God or to blame God or to figure something's not right. And I want to tell you here today that you're right on that part. Something's not right. Life's not all good. At least it's not all good all the time. Life hurts at times. Life doesn't go the way we expect it to at times. The very reason for that is because the Bible has said that we have turned our back on God. Or turned our backs on God. We are a disobedient people. 
And so we need life. There is such a thing as good life, uh, the good life. And every time we experience that or have a day like yesterday, it's a glimpse of how things should be. Certainly even better than that. But it's a glimpse of the good life. But it's not always that way. And that in and of itself is pointing us to the one who is life. The one who gives life. The one who makes life. The resurrection speaks to that fully. The resurrection tells us that everything bad, everything wrong, everything not in the category of awesome will be corrected, will be fixed soon enough. As you've heard proclaimed through song, as you have heard read in the scriptures today, Easter, as every other Sunday, is about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came to earth as God. He lived 33 years. He never sinned because He's God. People didn't understand that. They killed Him after 33 years, after three years of public ministry. But Jesus tells us that nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. This is the great truth that you and I need to realize. Jesus was not just murdered. Jesus was murdered by people that hated him, but he offered of himself freely as a sacrifice in love for us. They buried him in the grave. And three days later, and a long three days, he was back. He was alive. The tomb was empty. God reigns. And that truth lets you and I know that every other experience and emotion and feeling we feel is not right. When your marriage is tense, be reminded it's not right. I need Jesus. When your kids are wayward, be reminded it's not right. I need Jesus. When your heart longs for things that it should not long for, which every one of us deal with, be reminded this is not right. I need Jesus. And the resurrection tells us that the power of God is enough to make anything right. Temporarily here, somewhat here, a shadow of it here in this life, we will remain in the struggle. But one day, either when Christ returns or when we die, we will be there with Him and it will all be right. In John chapter 11, Jesus comes right into a family that is hurting so much. And he speaks the words. Don't think about truths outside of themselves like they might help you. Think about me being those truths. The very presence, the very reality of who Jesus is, is what gives us life. So we say life is good, but there's not a person in the room that doesn't know that it's sometimes it's not. Read with me, if you will, at John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17 through 27 today. And then we're just going to walk through it. John chapter 11, verse 17. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 989. The black Bible's there in the Pew. It's page 989. It says, Now when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the passage in John chapter 11 about the death of Lazarus. We're not even going to get to this part today, but, but the story goes on to say that Jesus goes to Lazarus. He's not overwhelmed by the situation. And he speaks to the dead man who'd been dead four days. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. He had been dead for four days and he comes out. He is alive. God can do that. See, if you're thinking about the situation in any other way of how could this have happened, not including God, I agree with you. It is not possible. But if you factor in that God did that, I I, I believe it. God raised Lazarus from the dead. He can do that. I believe he's going to do that to every other person that's died before him who is the believer in Christ one day soon. In this passage, we have the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. In the book of John, John writes at the end at chapter 20, I want to read this to you. Listen, very clear and simple. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So Jesus did other things that are not in the book, okay? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Listen, God wrote the Bible so that you would believe in Christ and have life. That's what we're talking about today. Is life good? No, not until you have Jesus as life. And He wrote this book, not to tell you everything in the world Jesus did, but to tell you enough so that you would believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and therefore have life, have meaning, have understanding, have eternal life. Well, John wrote really well. And here at chapter 11, we have the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. If you know much about the Bible, you know that that statement, I am, is where God said his name to Moses when he was going to set the people free from slavery in Egypt in Exodus. You remember that story if you know the Bible. Moses says, God says, Moses, go there and tell them to let my people go. And Moses says, well, if I go there, they're going to ask, what is your name? And God says, tell them my name is I am. Tell them that I am sent you. To us, it sounds like a weird name. But if you think about what I am is, it's it's, it's the verb to be. He is. I am is. That's his name. So in the Gospel of John, John shows us seven places where Jesus uses the phrase I am to get you and I thinking he's God. And then he puts an object with it of how he is God to us. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In other words, Jesus is God to us like bread in the sustaining power of that which food is. You have to have food to live. You can't go but a few days without food. You have to have Jesus to live forever. You cannot go through life. He is the sustenance without him. John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. Nobody enters into God or into heaven without going through the door. 
Again, in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me and they follow me. I call the sheep and they follow me. I know the sheep by name. They won't follow another shepherd. I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, what we have here, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. Seven places where John writes saying, Jesus is God. Here's how he relates to us. If you'll believe that, you will have life, be forgiven of your sins, be a Christian, have eternity in heaven, eternal life. Those are the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Well, here today at John chapter 11, we have the one that is the... The I am the resurrection. It's perfect for Easter. Easter's about the resurrection. Some people call this resurrection day. And here Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Notice that Jesus is getting you to think about himself as the key ingredient, the, 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 the linchpin, the, 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 the key thing to understand the resurrection. He's not going to let you say here, I, I know that he resurrected. He's not going to let you say here, I know he rose from the grave. He wants you to deal with He is the resurrection. There's a difference. There's a difference when faith becomes personal. The Bible tells us clearly that there are people who believe that don't believe. Let that sink in for a second. There are people who believe that don't really believe. There are people that say they believe. There are people who acknowledge there's a God. There's people who think Jesus is a real person, but they don't believe. The Bible would even say it like this, that the demons believe and they shudder. They don't worship, they run. See, we understand faith to be a personal thing in which the the, the truth of God and the love of God is so compelling and irresistible to us that we have turned upon sin and self, we've turned from what is life as we know it, and set our eyes upon a loving, forgiving God who is rich in mercy and slow to anger. And we are now going towards Him by faith, living our lives desiring God. There's a faith that is personal. Faith that's real. That's what it means when He says, I am the resurrection. Jesus doesn't want you to say, I believe that Easter is about the resurrection. I believe that, that, that God died and rose from the grave. He wants you to say, no, He died and rose from the grave for me. My sins are forgiven. My life has changed. The, the power that brought Him up out of the grave is the power that's working in me to love and serve and be a child of God in this world. So let's walk through, starting at verse 17, this great passage. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. If you read the passage a little bit ahead, they're going to say that, that Lazarus died. And they went and told Jesus. And, and Jesus is now uh, on his way. He gets there, verse 17. And he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. That's bad. They didn't embalm back then. Uh, he would have already been breaking down, so to speak. Four days in the tomb. Jesus gets there. He's not really overwhelmed by it. I want you all to know that things that worry us don't worry God. That's why it's good to be a child of God. Things that freak us out, things that stress us out, things that are just too heavy for us, things that overwhelm us. I can't take it anymore. Don't do that to God. God doesn't get overwhelmed. Listen, folks, God does not know what stress is like. He doesn't stress. He's got this. The Bible says that he knows when every single bird falls to the ground. The Bible says he feeds every one of those birds. The Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on your head, even though some of y'all don't have very many. He knows that. 
The Bible says that God knows the word that is on the tip of your tongue even before you say it. This is my Father's world we like to sing. He's not surprised by things. He's not overwhelmed. Now, Mary and Martha are overwhelmed. Their brother had died. They didn't like this. He'd been dead four days. And Jesus shows up four days late. Look at verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. I don't know if we walk two miles anymore, but they called that near. It's kind of funny. They called that near. It was only about two miles. Easy walk. Verse 19 says that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, this lets us know that they must have been a pretty well-to-do family because lots of Jews were willing to walk two miles just to comfort them. Okay, so they must have been pretty prominent, had a lot of relationships, a lot of significance. And so people were traveling to see them. Mary and Martha were there, and they were coming to console them. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, so Mary didn't go, but Martha did. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, it sounds like she's maybe accusing him or blaming him or or trying to find fault, but she's not. Really what she's doing here is she's expressing that she knows that, that he could have done something. You just didn't make it in time, that sort of thing. I know, I know you could have, I know you would have, but you just didn't make it in time. Notice that even her as somebody who has faith, even her who's somebody who knows that Jesus has power, her worries kind of affect the way she understands life. This is how you and I are. Many of us Christian people still get very much so worked up, overwhelmed, stressed out over life. This is how Mary and Martha were. She thinks... That if God would have gotten here, he could have done something. It's not in her mind right now that God can still do something. Let me tell you, there is never a situation where God is not able to do what God wants to do. Trust me. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He can do whatever he wants in any situation at any time. He can. He's that big. He's that great. There aren't situations we find ourselves in and we think, God could have done something a few minutes ago, but now God cannot do something. Please. If you get anything here today, get this. God is big, bigger than we realize. He is great, greater than we realize. He is strong, stronger than we realize. He is able, more able than we realize. And so in verse 21, she says, or verse, uh, yeah, 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I want to point out something here. That in this life that I'm talking about, with all the struggle that we experience and the difficulties, Consolations often aren't consolations. There are times where we cannot be comforted in life. And I want to speak that to you as real truth. And I want you to know that I get that. Lots of Jews, it says, many of the Jews had traveled two miles to see them to comfort them, it says. Were they comforted? No. They weren't. Can you hear today that there are some things in life that that life's not going to fix? There are some struggles in life that a new job's not going to fix. There are some struggles in life that a, that a new man or a new woman or, 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 are not going to fix. That's the reality. How many times you heard somebody say, man, if I could just get a job, I promise, man, everything would come back together because I'd, I'd get this job and I'd have this money and I could pay these bills and I'd get out of debt and then everything would come together. And then they got a job and it didn't happen. Because our problems in life, the Bible says, are not against flesh and blood. The struggles that we got going on are not jobs and bills. It seems like that at times. That'll overwhelm you, but that's not the biggest. The biggest is that we think we can figure out life, and we can't apart from Jesus. We cannot. 
Many people traveled two miles to comfort them, hugging on them, loving on them, bringing flowers, bringing food, all of this. Their brother had died. Were they comforted? No. Just about three weeks ago, my my grandfather died. Massive heart attack, in the car, eating a Rally's hamburger. Eating a Rally's hamburger, which he loved, it was his favorite. Had a massive heart attack behind the wheel right there. EMS came, they rushed him to the hospital, he never recovered. They had him on life support for seven days, they pulled a life support, he died immediately. All of us traveled down there to where they are, had the funeral in North Carolina, all of the family there, people came from all over the place, tons of people there. We loved on her, we had an awesome service on my grandmother who, who lost her husband, all of that. That was three weeks ago. You call her today, she can't even talk on the phone. She's crying like crazy. They were married for 61 years. She, she can't handle it. Should I pat her on the back and say, cheer up? Should I give her a hug and say, oh, it's going to be all right? What can you do? Nothing. There's not anything you can do. Sometimes there's not a comfort. We can try. We can help. Having family members near. Loving on them. The only thing that will bring sense to that is if there's a hope, is if there's a heaven and if there's a life. I know people now that lost loved ones years ago and it's still hard. I know lives and homes right now that are still torn apart because of something like a major disaster, tragic, a death or something. Sometimes there's not a comfort. Mary and Martha have many Jews traveling two miles to comfort them. And as soon as she knows that Jesus is coming, as soon as she hears about it, she travels out there and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know you could have fixed the problem. I know you could have, but you didn't get here. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And here we see that she does have faith. She does know Jesus. And she knows that Jesus, being God, is the Son of God and has a very special relationship with His Father. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 30, says, I and the Father are one. They are one and the same. Jesus is God. The God-man. 100% God. 100% man. Jesus is God. And so she knows this. She says, if you'd have gotten here, you could have saved Him. But you didn't. Even now I know. That whatever you ask of God, He'll do it. You talk to your father, He'll answer. She understands that when I call on Jesus, all things are possible. She doesn't know what, but she knows that there's hope with Jesus. She knows that if I'm ever going to feel comfort, if things are ever going to get fixed, if things are ever going to be better, it's going to have to be through this man. Notice. Back at her home, there was a whole crowd of many Jews that have traveled two miles trying to console them. You know what she did? She said, get me out of there. I love y'all and thanks for trying, but I need to step away. Y'all have experienced that before. You've experienced a loved one passing away and everybody's there to comfort them. And they just need some space. They just need some fresh air. Because our comforts, we're not able to give people life. We're able to help. We're not able to fix She says, I need something else. She goes to find Jesus, and that's what we see happening. And then in verse 24, look what happens next. Sorry, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So ambiguous. She didn't know what he meant. Could have meant two things. He could be saying, I'm about to raise him up. 
He could be saying, don't worry about this. I'm about to make him alive. I, I got this, Martha. That's what he could be saying. Or he could be meaning, it's all right. He was saved. His sins were forgiven. At the last day, at judgment, he'll rise again with everybody else. Right? It's ambiguous. We don't know. We don't know which one he's meaning. Or, or she didn't. And she's looking for some comfort going to Jesus. And he says something that could mean great comfort right now or ultimate comfort in the big picture. He'll eventually be in heaven, that type of thing. That's what verse 23 says. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So we see that Martha thinks that he's talking about the last day. And can I speak to you for just a second about the last day? I don't, I don't want us to, to shy away from it at all. I want to be clear on it. The Bible says there's going to be a last day. The world didn't start uh, forever ago. The world started when God started it. And the world won't never end in, in infinity. No, the world will end when God ends it. God has told us that. There is a beginning and there is an end to this earth. Jesus here is speaking about the last day, or actually uh, Martha is. And the Bible teaches us that on the last day, Jesus will judge every single person. You, 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 me, y'all. We will stand before God and God will judge us. The Bible says that he has books of everything that we've ever done. Now, on our scale, that seems like a lot. Where's it all going to fit? Remember, on God's scale, it'll fit. And He will judge us for what we've done. The Bible says He will punish those who have not been forgiven of their sins. The Bible says He will not punish those who have believed on Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Some people in this world will be punished by God. Some people in this world will not be punished by God. And this is what they're referring to at the last day. There will be a judgment at the last day when Jesus stands before every person and deals with them. Hebrews says that when that day comes, Jesus will not deal with sins. He will not be coming to fix our sins. He will not be coming to die for sins. He will not be coming to forgive sins. In other words, there's no second chance. You know what it says in Hebrews? He already did that. He already came to deal with sins the first time. The next time He comes, He's not dealing with sins. The next time He comes, He's setting people apart and judging everybody. That's what He's talking about. See, Martha knows that Lazarus was a believer in Jesus. So at the judgment, he's going to be safe. He's forgiven of his sins. He's a child of God. He's loved by God. It's all good. But that's not comforting her right now. You ever been to a funeral and said, oh, he's in a better place? Did it comfort him? Not really. Somewhat. It comforts ultimately, but it doesn't help tomorrow. It doesn't necessarily stop you right now from your uh, anguish, from your mourning. Don't get me wrong. Being in a better place is absolutely a comfort. Yes, it is. But it doesn't stop the hurt or the pain or the mourning or the missing or the loneliness that you experience right now. It doesn't at all. Just like here, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, well, I know that he'll, he'll rise again on the resurrection of the last day. Well, that's not helping me right now. I'm, I'm still hurting. If you'd have been here, he, he, would have, he wouldn't have died. See, that comfort didn't necessarily work right, right there. So Jesus answers back in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection 
and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And who everyone who, be, who lives and believes in me shall never die. What a statement. This is something that I think Martha had not dealt with yet. This is something I think Martha did not know. This is something that I think Fairdale has not dealt with yet. There are a lot of people living in Fairdale right now that will say, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the grave. There are not a lot of people living in Fairdale right now that will say, Jesus is my resurrection and my life. Jesus is my very hope. There's not a lot of that. And Jesus is not going to let Martha say, uh, well, these abstract truths help me for when I die, I'll be in heaven. But they're not doing anything for me right now. No, that's not an option with God. As I said up there in the water, Romans chapter 8 is what I preached on this morning at the sunrise service. Paul writes that the very same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power in you today by faith that gives you life. There's no such thing as the resurrection helps me in the future, but it doesn't help me right now. Let's get rid of that. There are Christian people that have the power of God now, and then there are non-Christian people. There is no such thing as a Christian who believes in heaven for the future, but doesn't believe in the power of it right now. That's not a category according to the Bible. Jesus wants Martha to get this. I am the resurrection and the life. D.A. Carson says that Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in Him who alone can provide it. Instead of thinking as the resurrection is something that's going to happen, start thinking about the one who can make it happen. I had this super rich man one time take me on a tour of the casino boat on the river where you gamble. I don't gamble. But he took me on a tour. He owned it. I think I've told you all this story before. I'd never been around rich people all that much. And this guy was big time highfalutin. And he took me and my wife on a tour of the boat where you gamble. And he was the owner. When we sat down to eat, he was like, well, get whatever you want. And I was like, well, uh, they had like a steak and lobster for like $49.99. And they had like a filet mignon for $29.99. I was like looking at Val like, I wonder which one I can get. And I said, uh, so, so, you know, you know, I try to fill that out a little bit. I said, what are you going to get, sir? And he's like, Picking something awesome over here. It's one of my favorites. And I'm trying to act like I don't know what I should order, wondering, can I, can I go big? Can I get this steak and lobster? And all of a sudden he says, Josh, I own this whole place. You can get whatever you want. I was like, wow, that's true. We don't really got to worry about the price. You own this place. Jesus is saying to life, death and hurting families and sisters that are struggling over losing their brother. Hey, I own this. I own life. I own death. I own the grave. I own the resurrection. You can only have it through me. And if you've got me, you've got it. You don't have to worry about your brother being okay now or worry about your brother being okay then. If you've got me right now, you can have it all right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Carson goes on to say, just as he not only gives the bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also 
He not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Let let that sink in for a minute. There's a truth that we must hold dear. Now, there's a passage in Philippians 1 where Paul is talking about his ministry and he's in jail and he's writing to a church in Philippi and he's talking to them about how much he wants to be with Jesus. Philippians chapter 1. And he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're like, what? He says, I would much rather die and go and be with Jesus In verse 23, for that is far better. And to every one of us, when we hear that, we're like, I'm not sure if dying right now would be better for me. I have a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy, and a one-year-old girl. They're happy as can be. They love life. They love going to the playground. They love singing. They love playing sports. They're just happy, happy kids. Dying right now does not seem like... That would be better for me. Yet Paul says, for me to die is gain. That would be far better. Unless the life that I'm saying I'm enjoying right now as a parent has even higher limits. Unless life can be better. And I just don't know about it. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the life. And as I opened at the beginning, there are times when you think life's good. But those quickly pass and you think life's not good. Two times in the last month, this community has felt a teenager commit suicide. Twice in the last month. Do we dare say life is good? I hope that I'm not bouncing through the gas station life is good when I bump into their parents on accident. Right? Surely I'm not as insensitive as that. Just because life's good for me because I haven't been through that tragedy. I don't want to rub that off on them like, why are you so down? more to life than the good days. What's the answer? The life. The one who is the life. The one who gives the life. The one who made the life, sustains the life, and provides the life. Jesus is the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he And so what Paul's meaning is, I understand that these awesome good life moments will ratchet up a little bit. They'll stay awesome forever and there will never not be the good moments. There is a place, folks, 
where it will be all good. There is a place where it will never be shady. There is a place where there will never be tears. There is a place where there will be no dying. There is a place when families won't be able to stab each other in the back. There is a place where people won't be able to do each other wrong. There's a place when we won't hurt each other. There is. And that is called Jesus. That is called life. That is called eternal life. And whoever would believe in Him can have it. Don't think that doing your best here without Him can somehow produce that place later. It can't. There is no heaven without Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. And you only get that if you got Him. That's what He's saying to Martha. Jesus, if you had been here, He wouldn't have died. But even now I know that if you, if you pray to your Father that, that, that something can happen, your brother will rise again. Well, I, I know that he's going he's to rise in a resurrection on the last day. Martha, I am the resurrection. You ever had one of those God moments where God reminds you, I got this. I'm big enough. You can't overwhelm me. I can't be stopped. Martha had that. Can you imagine worrying about the resurrection and Jesus just leaning in and going, Martha, I am the resurrection. See, when your faith, your being, your hope is in Jesus, all of these worldly situations find support and strength and comfort In that anchor. That's why the Bible calls Jesus an anchor. The Bible says that Jesus is the foundation in the storm. And Jesus gives the illustration that if the storm comes and you don't have the foundation, guess what's going to happen to your life that you sometimes say is good? It's going to get all wrecked up because there's no foundation. But if Jesus is there, which is the one who provides life, and He's the foundation, He'll hold you through the storm. Like casting crowns sings, I'll praise you in the storm. Or what about the story of, of Noah and the flood, which is a pretty hot topic these days because of the Noah movie that came out. God says He's going to flood the world and destroy it because it was nothing but wicked and evil continually. That's what He says. But He's loving and merciful, and so He tells a man to build a boat and says, whoever gets on the boat will be saved. You've got 120 years to decide if you want to be on the boat or not. You know what the New Testament teaches us about the story of Noah? Jesus is the boat. Jesus is the ark. When storms or trials or or conflict come, when judgment comes, there's a place to be safe. There's a life in the face of death. You know what it is? Jesus. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and he is Can you be safe in this life? Retirement? Insurance? No. Jesus. Jesus is the life. He's the resurrection. Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, and we'll end here. 
Do you believe this? I love this. Jesus hears somebody talking about heaven. Jesus hears somebody talking about the resurrection. Jesus sees somebody who runs to him on the road asking him because of who he is to help their situation. This looks like a believer all the way around, doesn't it? I mean, this looks like a Christian. I know that you're going to raise him up in the last day. I know that you can pray to your father right now and he will fix this. I know that he's going to be safe in heaven. I know all of that. Jesus turns and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will have life. Whoever doesn't is going to die. Do you believe it? Jesus was intentional. Jesus was persistent that you answer this question, that you deal with this. Do you believe Jesus is life? And she answered rightly, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. Christ means Messiah. That means Savior. You are the Savior. You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. She knew it. And she believed it. I want to ask you here today, As you think about the idea of life being good, and I'm telling you, yeah, it is sometimes. Yesterday was an awesome day for me. But you know what's coming? I'm going to have a flat tire soon. Car's going to break down. Kids are going to act up. I'm going to get frustrated. And I'm not going to say life's good that day. I'm going to say, life's hard. And I'm going to need there to be a Savior that is bigger than this life. And so will you. There's only one answer. Do you believe it? Do you believe He's the life? Will you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus? Will you say, I'm not good enough? Will you say, I need you, God? Will you turn to Christ? Will you be saved? So, Jesus is alive. He died. He really did die. If He didn't die, then we can't be forgiven. Because what Jesus was doing on the cross was taking the wrath of God. I I, I think that you know that. Jesus died on the cross. And the reason why he died is because God was punishing him. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why did God need in his will to crush Jesus? So that he couldn't crush you. Sin is going to be crushed. You believe in Jesus, then Jesus took it. You don't believe in Jesus you will take the punishment on the last day. Do you believe this? He asked Martha, do you believe this? Russ Moore, writing about the resurrection, beautifully, listen to this. Part of the curse Jesus would bear for us on Golgotha was the taunting and testing by God's enemies. As he drowned in his own blood, the spectators yelled words quite similar to those of Satan in the desert. Listen up. Let Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. But he didn't jump down. He didn't ascend to the skies. He just writhed there. And after it all, the bloated corpse of Jesus hit the ground as he was pulled off the stake, spattering warm blood and water on the faces of the crowd. That night, the religious leaders probably read Deuteronomy 21 to their families, warning them about the curse of God on all of those who are hanged on a tree. Fathers probably told their sons, watch out that you don't ever wind up like him. 
Those Roman soldiers probably went home, washed the blood of Jesus from under their fingernails and played with their children in front of the fire before dozing off. This was just one more insurrectionist they had pulled off a cross. One in a line of them dotting the roadside. And this one, what was his name? Joshua? Jesus? Was just decaying meat now. No threat to the empire at all. Listen up. That corpse of Jesus lay there in the silences of that cave. By all appearances, it had been tested and tried and found wanting. If you'd been there to pull open his bruised eyelids, matted together with mottled blood, you would have looked into blank holes. If you'd have lifted up his arm, you would have felt no resistance. You would have heard only the thud as it hit the table when you let it go. You might have walked away from that morbid scene muttering to yourself, the wages of sin is death. But sometime before dawn on Sunday morning, a spike-torn hand twitched. A blood-crusted eyelid opened. The breath of God came blowing into that cave. And a new creation flashed into reality. Let that sink in. Do you believe it? And the next time life's not going the way it ought, be reminded, God told you so. This ain't it. This is not it. Jesus is the life. And if you'll believe it, you'll be His forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you did for us what we could not do. Thank you, God, that there's hope. Thank you, God, that our hurts can be healed. Father, I know today that many are like me. We need you. We ask, Father, you'd be near to us. God, we pray that all of our hurts, like like they felt from Friday to Saturday when Jesus was dead and gone and it seemed miserably hopeless, that all of our lives and all those hurts would be in light of that he is now alive. The hand twitched, the eye opened, the cave opened up, and he lives. And that same power is what gives us life now. Oh, Father, I ask that you would work in us. That many, many would believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.